the false narrative that artists can't make a living from their art. You have to break that whole starving artist syndrome story and not let that excuse block you from the success that you deserve that stands on the other side of that false narrative. Today's episode is sponsored by the Artist Profit Lab. Come join me and other passionate artists inside my absolutely brand new free Facebook group, the Artist Profit Lab. For the month of August 2020, I'll be your host sharing resources to help you get started to build digital online art classes. Are you excited? So am I. Just go to shulmanart.com forward slash lab. That's L-A-B. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world insider podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hello, this is your hostess, artist Miriam Shulman, and you're listening to episode number 101 of the Inspiration Place podcast. I am so honored that you're here. Today, we are talking about all the ways that you might be sabotaging your art sales. But before we get there, I wanted to let you know that I just started a brand new, totally free Facebook group called the Artist Profit Lab. This new group is designed specifically for artists who want to make a living from their art. And during the month of August, I'll be sharing resources for learning how to create online art classes. Unlike selling your art in person through galleries or the art festival circuit, Online class creators can truly live life on their own terms. Not only has 2020 proven the online class market to be recession proof, but the additional income and flexibility allows you to enjoy financial and creative freedom all year long. If you're looking for more information and support to build your online art classes, then I invite you to join us inside the Artist Profit Lab. Just go to shulmanart.com forward slash lab as in L-A-B. Now back to the show. In this episode, you're going to discover why it's important to own your desire to be a financially successful artist, the five factors that are contributing to your under-earning, especially if you're a woman, and why your desire to be perfect, like Martha Stewart, is killing your dreams. Before we dive into the meat and potatoes of today's episode, I wanted to circle back to my own journey of how I left a very high-paying hedge fund job to dedicate myself to my art. So often I'm asked what had to shift for me to let go of the safety of clocking into a high paying job and instead embrace entrepreneurship and the life of a working artist. The story really starts off in college. Why did I major in engineering instead of art? What kept me there. And mostly because I was conforming. 
I was conforming. I was people pleasing. I was conforming to what my mother wanted me to do, what I thought was expected of me. It was really hard not to conform because I was actually really good at math and engineering. And I was also driven by this feminist desire to succeed in this male dominated world of engineering. But at the same time, I always wanted to draw and paint. So I felt conflicted because I knew I could make a really safe living with the science classes and wasn't sure about the art. But what most artists are going to tell you is that if you have this passion inside of you, you're going to do it anyway. Nobody has to pay us to do it. We're going to do it no matter what, because we're called to do it. Does that make sense? So I was always drawing in class. It was like I was practicing this craft, whether I wanted to or not. It was an obsession. It was a compulsion. I was drawing my teachers. I was drawing my classmates on the weekends. If I didn't feel like going to fraternity parties because like that scene got pretty old, I was in the art studio and I was creating art. I was always doing that. And in addition, I kept signing up for art history classes. So by the time my senior year rolled around, I actually had to switch majors from engineering to art history because I wouldn't have had enough credits in that other major to graduate. But even then, I still wasn't embracing the idea of, all right, should I be making a living at this? Because this is clearly what I'm driven to do. I thought because I wasn't at an art school, I didn't have the skills I needed to go down that path immediately. However, that's clearly a false narrative because I know so many artists who did go to art school and they tell me they don't really learn career skills at the art schools anyway. So that was just a limiting belief I was telling myself. So I started off in corporate. Not only did I have an engineering major as an undergraduate, I got a master's degree in engineering from MIT. And from there, I was invited to work on Wall Street for one of the most elite trading firms that there was at the time. Many of those people left the Wall Street firm to start their own hedge fund on I was invited to join them. And that was pretty well known 20 years ago. But what happened was this. In 1998, this hedge fund, LTCM, famously blew up, almost taking down the entire financial world with them. So it was during that time when my perspective started to shift. It's kind of like the crisis we're in right now. I like to simplify the story and tell people, oh, it was 9-11. It's not that that wasn't true. What is true is that with 9-11, I knew I couldn't go back to work, to that world. But the seeds started being planted when my company was in the financial crisis, the financial crisis of 98. The hedge fund that I worked at was completely decimated. The only reason that the doors stayed open is because the Federal Reserve deemed my firm too large to fail. They felt that if they let my company go completely under, they would take the entire financial system with them kind of like create a Great Depression because of our bank failing. So what they did was they kept our doors open, a bunch of banks chipped in millions of dollars, 
and they were going to lay off people. Somehow I kept my job. Well, not somehow. Obviously, I worked hard there and there was a junior partner at the firm who really went to bat for me and who I am grateful helped me keep my job at that time. But what happened regardless was during that time, I became so disillusioned with the culture because now instead of being busy when I came into work, we had so much more time in our hands to really think about what we were doing. And I became disconnected with that position disconnected with the purpose of who I was serving in that capacity. I was very aware that at the hedge fund I worked with, all I was really doing was helping a very small group of people get wealthier. And these people, they weren't using their money like Bill Gates to start humanitarian foundations. They were pricing out, I kid you not, golf courses and vineyards. The lead partner who started the fund had his own golf course in Ireland. They wanted to spend their money in the biggest way possible. I was disconnected to what was happening there. But there's definitely some lessons that I learned there that are helping me now step into my abundance as an artist. And we're going to get to that today. When 9-11 happened, that was the ultimate wake-up call. And that was when I put my stake in the ground and said, no, I'm absolutely not going back to that. I think right now, a lot of people are looking at the crisis we're in with COVID, with all the repercussions because of that. They're being forced to slow down. Some people are either furloughed or laid off from the job they never liked to begin with. And they're asking themselves, do I really want to go back to that? And that might be you. And that is what happened with me. That was how I was able to leave the golden handcuffs behind and really get in touch with the question, what is my purpose? The truth was from an intellectual perspective, I did enjoy the challenge of doing that computer job. But It was not the fullest expression of my creativity or the work that I knew in the inside that I wanted to bring forth. And it wasn't definitely not the legacy that I wanted to leave behind on the planet. So you can do work that is not your life purpose, that is rewarding in a way, and it pays the bills and no judgment on that. That is fine. But ultimately, if you can make money in another way, then the money is not going to be motivating enough by itself. Now, that does not mean that I don't want money for my art. I do. And I own it. I own that desire. In fact, I love being a businesswoman. I love painting. Of course, lots of people paint for fun. No judgment there. But I love the whole thing the business side, the marketing side, all of it. It's so fascinating to me and I embrace being a businesswoman wholeheartedly. Let me tell you, I thank my great-grandmother every day who was a suffragist. I thank her every day for fighting for the rights that I have and I'm enjoying now to be able to do this. Now, if you want to be a successful artist, a financially successful artist, you have to be willing to embrace all of it as well and see how you can add your personality and your creativity to the marketing and the business side of your art career as well. 
And it's really like a fun puzzle to have to figure all of that out. I believe art and creativity is the number one vehicle a person can use to return to the truth of who they are. Because when we create, we are creating a divine self-expression. We're discovering who we are from the inside out. And we're bringing forward things that maybe we didn't even know were in there. And that heals our soul and can be a powerful way to help others heal. Now, I know that there are lots of people who want to take their art and make a business of it. I used the crisis of 9-11 as my driving force, and I invite you to take the time we're living through right now and do the same. And I make this invitation even though I know it takes tremendous courage to bet on yourself, to bring your creativity to the forefront of your life and express it in every area. But in order to do that, you're going to have to let go of false narratives that you might be harboring. So the obvious one, the false narrative that artists can't make a living from their art, you have to break that whole starving artist syndrome story and not let that excuse block you from the success that you deserve that stands on the other side of that false narrative. But My friend, this isn't even step one. Step one is to first get comfortable with making money. This is the number one thing I see people self-sabotaging themselves all the time. And as I'm talking to you, it's actually clarifying for the first time in my own mind why I was able to be comfortable being financially successful as an artist. And I think it's because of all that time I spent working on Wall Street. I was very comfortable with the identity of making a lot of money. So I had gotten comfortable with having the capacity to have money. And making six figures was already normal for me when I was on Wall Street. And I had been around people, and most of them were men, but also their wives, who were very comfortable spending large amounts of money. And that's why I understand that people who have lots of money enjoy spending their money on expensive things. They are not looking for bargains. They are not shopping on eBay. They choose wine by its price tag. If a bottle of wine is too inexpensive, then they think it can't be good. $6 bottle of wine can't be good as a $20 bottle of wine, and it's certainly not as good as a $100 bottle of wine or a $300 bottle of wine. And we may have our price ceilings of how much we'll spend on things. They have their price floors, meaning that they will not go below a certain amount of money when choosing a luxury item because they view it as not as worthy. And that is a main way a lot of you artists are sabotaging yourself with those low prices because that's how they're viewing art. They're not looking for deals. Recently, I had on Kelly Hollingsworth on this podcast. It's such a great episode. So it's linked in the show notes. 
And today's show notes is shulmanart.com forward slash 101. Make sure you check out that episode. She's brilliant. She articulated it beautifully that for a lot of people, and her opinion that this is mostly a female problem, but it may also apply to some of you dudes out there, is that we have a fear of desire. When I had the conversation with Kelly, we discussed the fear of owning your desire for money. And the reason we believe this is more prevalent in women is that, or at least the reason I believe, is that until recently, and some still even now, (laughs) sexual desire has been seen as a pathological condition requiring treatment. So for us women, we have been conditioned socially not to desire sex or money. I see this so often when I do the free strategy call with artists to see if they're a good fit for coaching. I ask them, how much money do you want to make? And you know what? Some artists cannot even answer that question because the whole ability to be able to articulate that they want money has been drilled out of them. Now, a lot of times, and by that, I usually mean women, but you know what? For artists, I don't think this is an exclusively a female problem because many art schools teach that it's bad to say you want to make money from your art. In addition to us living in a patriarchal society that encourages women to repress desires for sex and money, many of the art schools also frown on the desire to want to make money from your art. You'll hear lots of stories from artists that say their professors and peers frown on the idea of selling out. So instead of declaring a desire to make money from their art or articulating a number, they'll tell me that they want recognition. They see recognition for their art as a more noble goal. Now, if you were to say to the same person, hey, Would you like me to write you a check for $100,000? You just want a grant. Oh, sure. Yeah, give me $100,000. So there's nothing dirty about the money. But to be able to say it, to be able to claim that you want to make $100,000 in your business, no, they're not able to come to terms with that desire. So that's why that is step one. And that is a huge saboteur. Not being able to be okay with making money. Now, of course, you have to believe you can make a living with your art to kick the starving artist myth to the curb. But step one is owning the desire to accept compensation from your art. If you're not willing to do that, if you're not in alignment with that energy, you will continue to send out signals to the universe not to give you money for your art. In order to be successful, in order to thrive, you have to start there. Now, a lot of money mindset and self-development coaches will tell you that the reason you're having trouble raising your prices or accepting money for your art is because of self-worth issues. And although I do believe that that's another saboteur and will get in your way, you can still have a hundred percent self worth, but 
if you still believe that it's not okay to desire money for your art, you can't go any further. So if you're telling yourself that you just want to cover your art supplies or you just want recognition, you'll never make a thriving living as an artist. You have to want the money too. And you can't be afraid of making more than your partner, your parents, or anyone else in your life. I know sometimes women will tell themselves a false narrative that making more than their husbands are going to emasculate them. So that might be a uniquely female fear because I never really heard a guy talking about making more than their wife. But I see a similar version of this fear holding men back as well, because they might have a limiting belief about making more money doing something that they love that comes easily to them when their parents or maybe their father had to work so hard and made less. So this may be an overlapping money block for artists who have trouble receiving money for their art. There's virtue and some type of higher morality attained when you, air quotes, work hard. And this may be more prevalent in American society, which inherited a Puritan culture from the Quakers who settled here. But here's the crazy thought. Let go of that false narrative that if something comes easy to you, it doesn't have worth because really you can get paid the most to do what comes the easiest for you. That's very hard for many of my artist clients to understand. They'll say, well, it only took me an hour to paint that. And I'm like, well, yeah, but your customer couldn't do it. Not only that, but even if you're selling your art to another artist, they couldn't do it the way you did it. So it makes absolutely no difference how long it took you to do it. I think something else that holds people back is that feeling that it's inappropriate to ask for money and then they want to give their art away for free. I am seeing a lot of that right now, not just in the artist space, but also in the entrepreneur space. But it's not that the people who are feeling that way now didn't feel that way before. Let's just get that straight. The people who feel that way now that it's inappropriate to ask for money, it's just amplified. In fact, all of our excuses right now are amplified. And so now they'll say it's inappropriate to ask for money at this time, whereas before they might have said it's inappropriate to ask for money because it's easy for me or because it's my friend or whatever it was. Do you see what I mean? That inappropriateness, you got to let go of it. The truth is now is not much different than it was three months ago when it comes time to selling things. Please do not use the current circumstance as an excuse to lean into your fear of asking money for your art. Now, I think that's why I have such a unique perspective. Even when the hedge fund I was working at was technically bankrupt, none of the partners in the firm were out on the street. (laughs) 
they were still living the same lifestyle. They did not have to give up their Greenwich, Connecticut estates. I mean, just imagine a huge house on a hill with a stone wall around the compound, like that kind of estate. People who have money, those who will pay the highest prices for your art, they don't think it's inappropriate to shop right now because they have an abundance mindset. And you'll always find evidence to back up your belief system. For example, when I was launching the Watercolor Portrait Academy, I had people saying to me, of course, I can't sign up because of this time. But I had more people saying to me, of course, I'm signing up now because of this time. And so that is why that was one of the most successful art classes I've ever promoted during the pandemic. And just so you know, according to Udemy, an online class site, art classes were the most popular of all the classes on their site. So people have money to spend. It's interesting that what we look for we are going to see and how people can take the same exact circumstance and make it mean completely different things. I hear people say, I can't work on my art right now. And I also hear people say, it's the perfect time to work on my art right now. So it's really up to you. This can be the best time ever, or it can be the worst time ever. And it's completely arbitrary and it's all on how you choose to see it. And it's how we choose to view ourselves and our work in the world. By the way, if you want to work on your art business, I wanted to make sure you knew that I do have room inside my artist incubator program. If you're lacking a solid strategy and a winning abundance mindset, And if you're disappointed with your current sales, I can help you. If you've been listening to this podcast and you found my tips helpful, then maybe it's time to take the next logical step and work with me on a deeper level. The Artist Incubator Program is for professional artists who want to take their art business seriously and take it to the next level. So if you're ready to invest in your art career and join a dynamic community of artists who are doing the same thing, you can go to shulmanart.com forward slash biz, that's B as in boy, I as in ice cream, Z as in zebra, and apply now. There's no fee or commitment to apply, and those who qualify will get a free strategy call with me. Just go to shulmanart.com forward slash biz, that's B-I-Z. Now back to the show. Okay, I thought we should do a quick review about where we're at up until this point. So if you've ever wondered why some artists are effortlessly selling their art while others struggle, it's because number one, successful artists own their desire. Number two, they see value in their art and are willing to claim it. They believe their art is worthy and they believe they are worthy. Number three, they move past all the bullshit stories that you could be telling yourself that it's inappropriate to be selling art right now, whether it's now or a different time. Number four, successful people, they don't have a problem with investing in themselves. This is really 
two sides of the same coin. The same people who are afraid to ask for money are afraid to invest in themselves. It's the same problem. They have trouble investing in themselves and seeing the value of investing in themselves. And that's why they have trouble asking other people to invest in their art, to invest in themselves. That's why I usually see an immediate shift in artists after they join my program. They have finally stood up and said to the universe, I am worthy, my art is worthy, and that investment in themselves just by joining my program allows them to have the confidence to ask higher prices for their art. Of course, I deliver stellar strategy and mindset help, but the transformation does happen during the transaction. Let me give you a specific example. I just got an email today from my client, Nicolene Mann. I'm going to link to her website in the show notes because her artwork is absolutely stunning and you should check it out. So shulmanart.com forward slash 101, go there and take a look at her art. Now, before she joined my program, she shared in the application that she had started getting commission requests after taking my art classes, the ones that I include in Pet Portrait Academy. But she felt unsure how to market herself to clients who will pay higher prices for her art. However, what she wrote to me in that email was, quote, Within 10 days of joining the Artist Incubator Program, I am on contract for a $650 commission. I just wanted to share that with you because joining the Artist Incubator has up-leveled my biz already to a place I expect to occupy. I'm already thrilled with the information I have received from the program and excited about implementing the strategies. Thanks for creating a program that addresses all of the important aspects of running a successful art business and for being a leader who demonstrates these principles in action. I am beyond excited for what the future holds. End quote. Of course, I'm always pushing my artists to raise the prices for their art. And even though Nikki has so much to celebrate, I actually started working with her in strategies so that she can push her art into the 1000 category. She's almost there. She just needs a few tweaks. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, "Mm, no one's going to want to pay $1,000 for my art, you know what you're really saying is that you wouldn't pay $1,000 for art. When somebody is contemplating whether or not to invest in art, the thoughts that are going through their mind, the art collector's mind, is not if your art is worth it. They are wondering if they, the art collectors, are worth it. That's why investing in yourself, whether it's self-care or signing up for an art business coaching program like the Artist Incubator, can be transformative. You're telling the universe that your art business is worth investing in and you'll absolutely start attracting higher paying collectors. And this is not because of any kind of voodoo law of attraction. This is actually brain science. When you believe with all your heart that you're worth it and your art is worth it, that's the energy that you're going to send out into the world. That kind of energy, that confidence is magnetic and will attract high-paying art collectors to you. 
Now, we all have different ceilings. I talked about it before, the ceilings of what you'll pay for things and the floors of what you consider unworthy. A lot of this comes down to how we treat ourselves. And how we treat ourselves is how other people are going to show up for us. If we don't know how to say yes to our own desires and we don't know how to value ourselves, it's going to be really hard to get anywhere. That's why one of the most important questions I ask on the Artist Incubator application is, are you willing to invest in your art business? If the answer is no, I immediately refuse them the discovery call because you have to be willing to invest in your art business or you won't make any progress. Number five, this is Martha Stewart syndrome. Here's what I've seen in my lifetime. So you know I'm 51 going on 52. So what I've seen in my lifetime is that as the opportunities for women have grown during the 20th century, so did the expectations that these same women, and by that I'm mostly talking about mothers, needed to be super moms. And worse, this expectation was not limited to working mothers. In the earlier part of the 20th century, the most popular parenting handbook was Dr. Spock. So parenting thinking back then advocated a more hands-off approach. You remember that children should be seen and not heard. That approach to motherhood changed to now children are the center of attention. By the time I had children, the most popular parenting books, at least the ones that I was reading, and they really did a number on my head was that whole attachment parenting thing. Like if you weren't always wearing your child in a sling, engaging with your child at every moment, you were doing it wrong. Women, I've noticed, are the worst offenders of maintaining this patriarchal system of the all-sacrificing mother. A great example of how the women create the prison that we are upholding is in both the book and also the movie version of the book, which is a different story, Unorthodox. So the woman made and maintained that prison for the Orthodox woman in that story. I remember when my mother-in-law came to visit me right after my second child was born She came to visit. It wasn't immediately. It was like maybe a week later. She was criticizing and complaining about all the toys all over the house and how this had to be in a container and that needed to be in in a container and blah, blah, blah. So I was all right. This is a good activity. Let's go to the container store. Why don't you show me what I need? And so we picked out all the plastic boxes and containers and we came back to the house. And for some crazy reason, I had the fantasy that she was going to help me organize and put all these toys into the containers. But no, she thought that a good activity for me a week after giving birth was to run around the house and organize it all. So I was like, um, no, Beverly, that will have to wait. Yeah, somehow I had the wrong idea that she was going to help me. (laughs) But she just wanted to let me know that I was doing it all wrong. And by the way, that's also why I stopped helping her load the dishwasher when we went to visit her in South Carolina. She would ask my husband to redo it after I would help because I did not do it the right way. So then I stopped helping her. I said, 
honey, you know how your mother likes it. I'm not wasting my time. Now, my mother-in-law's attitude is one that a lot of women have. Maybe you. Let me explain. Sometimes me. I'm guilty of this too. The problem, the guilt, the problem is that we believe that things need to be done this certain way. Now, she could have had her daughter-in-law helping her with a lot more housework when we were visiting if she didn't have this very specific way that the dishwasher had to be loaded. Do you see that? And can you think of examples maybe in your own life where maybe you refuse help because you feel it has to be done a certain way? I may not be that way with housework, but I know what I'm like that about things in my business where I will micromanage my team because I want the graphics done a certain way and the Facebook ads done a certain way. I want everything done a certain way and it doesn't always serve me. You may not be able to relate to managing a team yet, but I do know there's lots of women who don't let their husbands help them because they have my mother-in-law's mentality that it has to be done a certain way or it doesn't count. And yeah, guys, I'm talking to you too because there's plenty of guys who micromanage things in their life and they refuse help because things need to be done a certain way. So this is where Martha Stewart disease kicks in because it's that whole idea of not only does it have to be done a certain way, but it all has to be done by hand. So if your child has a bake sale, you can't just pick up store-bought Entenmann's. You have to bake and frost cupcakes from scratch. This perfectionism of being a superwoman who has to do it all, but not only do it all, but do it perfectly and by hand. So that's the Martha Stewart disease of how things should be done. And this perfectionism can be so insidious because it stops us from embracing our creativity. It keeps us from having the energy to give our art, stepping up in the world, investing in ourselves, claiming our desires beyond making sure we have perfectly frosted cupcakes. So there was a certain point in my kid's education when I was like, okay, no more cupcakes. Don't ask me. I told my children, if you can't sign up for napkins, I'm not doing it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, if you don't have school-aged children, let me explain. There's this checklist that goes around the kids. Sometimes they pin it to the door. The kids have to sign up. I think most of the time now, the class mom sends around a Google Doc. But what I had told my kids and what I tried to do when the Google Doc reached my email inbox instead was that I was only going to sign up for something I could stick in their backpack. So number one, no baking. Number two, it had to be something I already kept in supply in the house. And number three, no special trips to the school. And I was adamant about that last rule. They had to pretend I had a job in the city because I was not going to interrupt my workday to bring a forgotten notebook or whatever it was. Yep, I was a bit of a mean mom, but you know what? That's the way you got to do it. If you're making a living as an artist or really anything else, if you're working from home, if you're living your life passion, you're living into your life purpose, however that looks like for you, you do not have to do it all. You can drop the ball once in a while and let go of guilt. Perfect cupcakes does not mean you love your family more. Ordering takeout doesn't mean you love your family less. Now, before we had birth control, when women would have like 
seven, eight kids and one didn't turn out in the perfect image of their parents, we did not blame the parents. We were like, oh, look at that. They got a bad one. But now when we only have one or two kids, it's like, oh, it's your parenting style, which puts so much unnecessary pressure on us moms because we don't have the spares that we had before. Being a mother is an incredibly creative act. However, please let go of the idea that you're fully responsible for how your children turn out. That belief can do more harm than good. The truth is most of us, us and our kids, most humans come fully wired into this world and parenting has so little control over molding us into perfect humans. I'm pretty sure there are genetic studies done on twins separated at birth that will back this up. Now, women who have always put themselves on the back burner, even if it's not to make cupcakes, but other people's needs came first. If you've done that for a whole lifetime, and most of the women I serve, they've always wanted to paint, but they never gave themselves the time or maybe they hadn't picked up a paintbrush since college. And now finally they're 50, they're 60, even 70. Lots of my students are in their 70s and their kids have finally left the nest or they're about to retire. I asked them, when are you going to stop putting yourself on the back burner? Because you're so used to doing it, but now it's your time. It's your time to put yourself on the front burner and turn up the heat and let the pot boil over. Don't wait for me or anyone else to give you permission to do it. Own that desire to put yourself first. Men do it. So it's like in the airplane, they say, put your oxygen mask on first. That's really what it comes down to. But listen, on the plane, they don't say, okay, If you're a man, put your oxygen mask on first. But if you're a woman, make sure you put it on your kid first, right? Adults, put your oxygen mask on first because you're no good to anybody else. You can't help anybody else until you've taken care of yourself. And if you think I'm not talking to you because you don't have children, that is not true. I see you. I see so many women assigned the role of caretaker when it comes to their partners and their aging parents. They're still in that role of putting other people first. I saw my sister-in-law go from taking care of her ill father to taking care of her ill mother. That's my husband's stepmother who recently passed away. And since she's in her 50s, it won't be long before she's taking care of her husband. And she does not have children. What we're talking about is a female caretaker issue. And you don't have to have human children to be susceptible to it. (laughs) I'm also thinking about one of my art students who is a nurse who trains other nurses and she does not have human children. She has fur babies, but she was always nurturing everybody in her office and it's everyone else first. So when we talk about mommy guilt, it's really caretaker guilt. Which brings us back to the starving artist who doesn't believe it's appropriate to put your oxygen mask on first or 
perhaps who believes it's not virtuous to say, here's my desire. I would like to be a very successful artist who creates an art business that provides not just a home for my creativity, but allows me and my family to live an abundant life. You have every right to show up in your life and design it the way you want without needing to apologize for wanting. Say yes to yourself. You have this beautiful talent. Create something purposeful with it. The key is to own your desire and claim your right to really live your life with abundance. And don't forget, if you liked this episode, then you have to check out The Artist Incubator. It's my private coaching program for professional artists who want to take their art business to the next level. It's by application only. To apply, go to shulmanart.com forward slash biz. That's biz as in letter B and boy, letter I as in ice cream, letter Z or Z as in zebra. If you qualify for a free strategy session, you'll get my eyes on your art business absolutely free. And we'll discuss the steps you need to take to reach your goals and thrive. All right, guys, thanks so much for being with me here today. I'll see you the same time, same place next week. Make it a great one. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course, on shulmanart.com. Hey there, if you like what you've learned today in this podcast or all my podcasts, please make sure you visit our brand new free Facebook group, The Artist Profit Lab. In August, I'm running a free workshop for those who want to build digital art classes. We're doing a challenge that kicks off August 17th in the Profit Lab. In this challenge, you'll learn how to narrow down your course topic, choose your technology and get started. I'd love for you to join the party. So please consider this your personal invitation. Just go to shulmanart.com forward slash lab.